So we've been talking about how to have faith in uncertain times, and that is what Paul is writing to Timothy in this uh, second letter that he has uh, pinned to him. The final words that we have recorded of Paul as he sits in a Roman prison writing to Timothy, who is also dealing with suffering and hardships for the cause of Christ. And working through that letter to encourage him as the servant of God to not be ashamed, but to be a good soldier and to run the race like an athlete according to the rules and to put in the hard work like the the hardworking farmer so that he would obtain the reward. And so tonight, as Paul continues in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to notice that he's going to add some more pictures about what this servant of God looks like and what it means to follow him and how to have a strong faith, even in the face of the obstacles and difficulties that he was facing, which teaches us much about how we can have faith in our difficulties as well. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15 is really the, the hub point of our lesson tonight, where you'll notice that the apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Notice the picture of, I want you to be able to present yourself to God as one approved. And that is a a concept that I believe every Christian desires. We talk about on that final day, wanting to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And here Paul is writing to Timothy and expressing to him, I want you to be able to do that. I want you to work hard, to be diligent so that you can present yourself before God as one approved by him without any shame whatsoever, not ashamed at all, and correctly handling the word of truth in the process. And so from verse 14 to the end of the chapter, you'll notice that what Paul is going to do is now give some pictures of what this looks like. And I think the pictures are somewhat interesting. I think fascinating in a lot of ways. I don't know that I would have come up with the pictures that Paul gives here about what you would say as Here is how you can be a worker approved by God. Here is what that looks like. And he's going to talk about then how we handle the word of God. And he's going to talk about how we interact with one another. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight and how we use the word of God and how we interact with one another. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, and we'll begin our reading there. 2 Timothy 2, 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more ungodliness and their teaching will spread like gangrene, Hymenaeus, And Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. 
first picture that he gives in verses 14 to 19. And isn't it interesting that he spends the majority of his time talking about the words that everybody was saying? You'll notice in verse 14, he says, I'm charging you not to fight about words. Don't be battling and quarreling over words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Verse 16, avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more ungodliness and their teaching will spread like gangrene. It's really interesting of all the things that you would want to zero in on. He begins by saying, I don't want you to quarrel on words. I don't want there to be word wars. I don't want there to be irreverent babbling. And I don't want there to be empty speech. I don't want you just fighting over words. Which to me immediately kind of asks the question, well, what do you mean by that? What does war words look like? What does it mean to fight over words? What exactly does that mean? How do you have even empty words and this irreverent speech that you would quarrel over? I think the picture may be like this, is using the word of God not to teach about God or to teach the glory of God and who he is and what he's done, but rather just kind of using the Bible to argue about stuff, just argumentative. Not really seeking what's the meaning and how is this life giving and life transforming and showing who God is and what that means to us. But I'm going to find either words or an issue or a topic or a hobby horse and I'm going to use that to argue with everybody. That seems to be what is going on in this picture. And you might have encountered people like that who just seem to enjoy having that personality of arguing. They just like to argue. If you say the sky's blue, they're going to find a way to argue about that. No, no, it's turquoise or something like that. There are individuals who use the word of God in that way is that they look to the word of God, not as a means of life or a life change, but just to prove themselves right, just to argue about it, just to come across some topic or idea that they can then use to try to bludgeon other people to show how right they are, how smart they are, or how they ultimately possess a truth in God's word that nobody else has. That seems to be what's going on in in this picture. One of the things that you see him pointing out is the contrast where he uses in verse 15 the idea of saying what needs to happen as an approved worker of God is to handle the word of God rightly, which gives an implication. There's a way to misuse it. There is a way to handle the word of God in a wrong way. And that seems to be what's happening here is they're using the word of God in a way that is not the way God wants it to be used. He doesn't want it to be used to beat people over the head, but rather that it would be used in a way to show and teach about God. As I was thinking about this, um, It seems like I guess it's dampened down some maybe or maybe I'm just isolated enough to not see it as much anymore. But I feel like when I was growing up that there were a lot of people who were very much interested in just arguing over words. And it would fill magazines and journals and papers and gospel meetings 
where it wasn't about what does the text say, but I have a nuance that I'm going to beat you to death with. (laughs) And I am right about this thing that I have. And anyone who doesn't agree with me is clearly a heretic, a sinner, and going to hell. And I think that's the idea of what's happening here in this picture, because you'll notice that he says that the Lord's servant doesn't go about trying to determine who they're going to argue with. That's not their goal. The point is to not to take the word of God and beat everybody else up over it, having arguments about it. I came across one fellow and... um, Uh, Casey was telling me about him, actually, that I guess he spent his whole of his days sitting on social media, arguing with people about things in the Bible. I don't think that's what God really wanted you to do was to have these war words idea that that's what God is looking for, but rather to understand what the word of God is to be used for. And that's what comes out of what you see in these verses. You will notice in verses 17 and 18, you get a picture of two men who he says who seem to exemplify this problem and Apparently, Timothy knew who these two guys were. And he says, here's these two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And what they are doing is they are engaging in this empty speech and these war words. And their teaching is going around spreading like gangrene, harming others. And it seems like that to such a degree that if you think about the context of what he says, notice that verse 19, he says, God's solid foundation stands firm. Hearing this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. Which seems to tell me that what these two guys were going around doing is saying, I have this particular teaching. And if you're not on board with me, then you don't belong to God. Because that's why you would come to this this foundation. God knows who belongs. God knows who, who belongs to him. And these two seem to think that they had a truth that they could rally people around them and say, well, if you believe what I believe on this, here is my unique teaching right here. And if you just come to my side of it, then you truly belong to God and you have true knowledge and nobody else does. And I think it's interesting that Paul would have to write this and say, the Lord knows who are his. Uh, The Lord knows who ultimately belonged to him. And if you think about this, this was an issue that even Jesus had to come up against. Now think about how many times Jesus was talking to people who knew the law of Moses and knew those Hebrew scriptures so well. And yet at the same time, completely missed the whole point of what those scriptures were all about. That Jesus was standing there in front of them saying, let me use these scriptures to show you about how all of this is about me. And they don't see it. That you can know the fine details and know all the words and know all the arguments and still miss the big E on the I chart of what it was all about in the first place. It's stunning to think that when Jesus is on the earth and here he comes and he is teaching that the people who knew the law the best were the ones who missed him the most and didn't get it and didn't see him. Why? Well, they're in the word wars. They're haggling and missing what the whole point of those teachings were about. 
And I think you see that that's what Paul is dealing with here is that, yes, they know the scriptures and they are arguing over these things. And yet they're missing what the point of this knowledge is all about. In my mind, I was thinking about this and I thought, well, how do you know if you're involved in a word war? Then how do you know if you're engaged in that? And I think this might be a helpful monitor for us to know that. If our arguments and we are talking to somebody and we're, we're expressing our points of view turns into a feeling of malice or anger or ill will or slander or the feeling of the need to win, it's now turned into a word war. It's really not about the text. It's really not about God. It's really not about what it says. It's about you being right. It's you just trying to beat somebody up. And they don't agree with you and you get all mad about it. I think it's important that we think about how easy it is that we engage in something like this and you forget about the soul of the other person. What's the whole point of our discussion that we're having? Let's say we're sitting down with God's word and we're trying to sort something out. Except that we're trying to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be concerned about the soul of one another. And if we start moving into anger and malice and ill will and slander, and you won't believe what so-and-so said or did or believes or whatever, we're missing the whole point. It's not about trying to prove ourselves right, but trying ultimately to come to the knowledge of the truth. This argumentative spirit that he speaks of here, notice he describes that to be like gangrene. That's a pretty graphic image. Uh, that's a pretty strong way to put it. You understand that gangrene is slowly but surely kills all the cells of, of your skin as it, as it just kind of grows and grows and grows across you. And he says that's what's happening spiritually. Those who turn this into about arguments and winning and that kind of thing, rather than coming to understanding what God's will is and what it, this text is all about, He says those teachings are like gangrene. In fact, the imagery that he uses is absolutely frightening when he says here that they are, verse verse 18, ruining the faith of some, just destroying faith of others. And I wouldn't ever want you to raise your hand, but you might know of circumstances where you've been at a church or been able to hear about those where, The sum total of worship and the sum total of Bible classes and the sum total of the gatherings is about two Christians who just sit down and just have a dead out argument with each other over some word in the text that's going on and miss the whole point of what the whole thing is about. In the meanwhile of the arguing and the ill will and the spat that goes on, the faith of others is being ruined. That the word of God is not supposed to be used for the destruction of people's souls and to be destroying their faith. And yet it's boiled down to that. It's what it's turned into for these people. And so he names them and says, this argumentative spirit is destructive. And that we would be careful about that. We would always be watchful of how we approach the scriptures and how we teach the scriptures. And we would recognize that God does describe it as a sword. And you aren't just supposed to use that sword any old way you want to. But to be concerned about the the souls of others and to use it in such a way with precision that God desires. 
so that it would able be able to convict people. That's what God wants. And so what an interesting start when you have the Apostle Paul saying, I want you to present yourselves approved. And he starts by watch how you use the word of God and watch how you speak about those things, because that is something that is important to God. The second image is, is something that is interesting. Notice verse 20. He says, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Interesting image. Second picture of being approved is I want you to be an instrument that is used in an honorable way. And he describes this large house with all kinds of bowls and dishes and utensils. And he says, there are some tools and utensils and things you have that are used in an honorable way and for honorable things. And there are things that you have in your house that are used for the dishonorable things. A, a, a parallel would be, I think, like this. There are a number of tools that I have in my garage that are not allowed to ever come into the house. They're dirty. I have a wire brush that has been used to clean battery acid off of a car. My wife does not want that in the house. I have things that were used to do oil changes that are dirty and have oil and gunk on it and things like that. They're not supposed to come into the house. They are for the dishonorable use and they are not part of the honorable use. And that's the idea that he is presenting here is within a large house, there's all kinds of items that used for all variety of things. So watch the point that he makes then with that idea in verse 21. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be special instruments set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. The picture is if we're going to be approved of God, then we need to be cleansed of the dishonorable use. If we're going to be what God wants us to be as the servant of God, then we have to look at, okay, well, what are the things that are dishonorable and unclean in our lives so that he uses the picture that we can be set apart and useful to the master, ready for every good work, that we would be that special dish in the house that could be used that way. You probably have that where under normal circumstances, when nobody is in your house, you have the common dishes and the common wear and then, I don't know when this tradition ever started. You have those plates and dishes that you got on your wedding day that have never seen the light of day ever since the wedding day because they're so special and they are set apart for wonderful use that never get used. But we know they're somewhere, but they're special. And that's the idea is you're setting yourself apart for this special use. You're an instrument in God's hands for honorable use. Cleanse yourself so that you are not dishonorable, but rather can be used by God. I love the, the imagery, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And so the image is you need to be cleansed. But you might be surprised at what that looks like of the kind of cleansing he intends. That's where the rest of this chapter goes. Look at verse 22. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know they breed quarrels. 
The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So notice he says you need to be cleansed. Go from the dishonorable use to be honorable, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And now he starts speaking of purity. And the first thing that he says is I want you to run from these youthful passions. And probably the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about youthful passions are usually sexual sins. And that would probably be be included, but it doesn't seem that that's exclusively what he's talking about based on the context of the things that are going on. Think about in your life, if you are older like me, and go back and think, what are some of the things that are those youthful desires and youthful passions and youthful pursuits when you were younger? And I think it's not hard to think about what those desires looked like. When you're young, you know everything. <laughs> you know, nobody knows anything. I know everything. My parents are dumb. Everybody else is dumb. They're out of touch. They're clueless. They have no idea. Only I know what's best. So there's, there's pride. There's arrogance. When you're young, there's going to be that pursuit and desire for wealth, a desire for status, the lacking of compassion and care for others. It's all about me. These are some of the young things that we typically are when we're teenagers and in our 20s. Is, is That's the kind of our focus. This seems to be far more the idea of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Because you'll notice he speaks in verse, in verse 23 about rejecting foolish and ignorant disputes because you know they breed quarrels. He hasn't left the idea of how we interact with people. He hasn't gone to a whole new area. He says, I want you to be cleansed and be able to be used by God in an honorable way, useful to the master. And then he starts talking about kind of those youthful mistakes and youthful temptations that we fall into about being argumentative or always being right or being brash or lacking control in the way we deal with other people. And notice how he solves that picture when he, he says here that in verse 22, run from those things and instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I want you to run toward those things And stay away from these word wars, from these foolish controversies, this this useless talk that goes on and the arguing that goes on. I want you to run away from those things. And I think that you see that picture really boil up in the words that are given in verse 24. Here's the image of the Lord's servant. Verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The Lord's servant must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Those are probably qualities that get developed over time that when we are younger, we don't necessarily have right out of the gate. The Lord's servant, he says, isn't a fighter isn't argumentative, isn't quarrelsome, isn't looking for the battle, but rather, beautiful picture, gentle to everyone, able to teach, 
patient, instructing his opponents. These are the things that give off the idea of the maturity that Paul is looking for in those who are approved. We started this in verse 15. I want you, Timothy, to be approved by God, not ashamed. I want you to be able to stand before him as that approved worker. Well, what does that look like? And I think then as we wrap up the idea of what that looks like, how we interact with each other matters to God. I don't know that we always get that. How we interact with each other clearly matters to God. It matters a lot to him because he spends from verse 14 to verse 26 talking about how you talk to people and how you use the word of God to talk to people and to do it in such a way that shows patience, that shows gentleness, that shows kindness, that is not argumentative or quarrelsome, but reflects the very glory and kindness and gentleness of God. I think this is such an important picture because here he's given this idea about not using the word of God to be a fighter. Don't fight about words because it ruins the faith of others. It ruins people. Don't be someone who is used for dishonorable use as you talk to people. But to speak to people and teach people in a way that is useful to the master, that honorable use. Don't have anything to do with the foolish controversies. Don't have anything to do with these speculations because they only cause more arguments and more fighting, more problems, more divisions. Instead, be someone who is approved by God, gentle to all, kind to all, able to teach, patient even when wronged. That is what an approved servant looks like. Now, let me ask this question. Why is that so important? Why does God care so much about how we interact and how we use the word of God? Look at verse 25. Perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. How we teach, how we talk to people matters so much to God because God cares about the soul of every person. And he gives off this this wonderful hope. Perhaps God will grant them repentance that will lead them to the knowledge of the truth. And we need to see ourselves as the facilitators of that, that when we teach, when we talk, how we interact with people and how we interact with one another, the goal is never to win. The goal is repentance. The goal is the soul of the other person, that that would always be at the forefront of our mind. And my goal is then to to be an instrument of honor so I can be useful to the master. I can be set apart for every good work and I'm going to use my words in that way so that I'm not dishonorable to the master, but honorable. I'm going to be gentle because I'm hoping and praying that how I am saying these things is going to cause repentance. Not for the other person to go, all right, you win, leave me alone, back off. I can't take the beating any longer. Sometimes we think of it that way as the goal is to win. 
And we're not seeing the soul of the other person. And his concern for all of that section all funnels into this idea that our hope and our aim is that people will come to their senses and be able to have a knowledge of the truth and turn back to God. That should be our whole purpose. That should be our everything about how we talk to people and how we interact with one another. And if we keep those things in mind, then the things that we talked about are those youthful passions, that pride and arrogance and being right and brash and all of those things will certainly be kept to the side. It's not about me trying to win. It's not about you trying to prove that you know something. But to be able to use the word of God in such a way that we can win people back. That they would be able to hear the love of God and to see what God has done for them in such a way that they would desire to know him and to come back. And people will come back not through war words, not through quarreling and fighting. Not through seeing people who are not displaying the love of Christ to one another. Not by seeing people who lack gentleness but are brash. But rather people who are yielding to one another. Who are gentle to one another. Who care for one another. And are patient with one another. And instructing one another. You ever thought about these two guys? I think about Hymenaeus and and Philetus. I bet if you asked them they would say that they were right. Their teaching on the truth was right. We know the truth and this is the truth and we're going to go around telling everybody this is the truth. I bet if you pulled them to the side, they'd be like, oh, we're as right as could be. And Paul writes down and goes, they're killing the faith of everybody. They think they're right and they're destroying people. They're destroying people like gangrene. They've missed the whole point of why we're here and what we're trying to do. It's not about winning arguments or being the smartest person in the room. It's about gently bringing people back to him. What a picture. Verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Correctly handling the word of truth. Would you have thought about these things as the picture of being diligent to present yourself approved of God? Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that our words often get us in trouble. And we speak too quickly. And we may speak rashly. And we say things that we ought not say. And Lord, sometimes we can allow our desire to be right, our desire to prove ourselves, our desire to win, to cause us to lose sight of what we're here for and how we're supposed to be instruments in your, in your hand. Lord, I pray that you would first forgive us for the times when we have misused our words. Forgive us for when we have lacked gentleness. Forgive us for when we have lacked patience. And forgive us for when we have put ourselves ahead of you and your word. Lord, I pray that 
not only as you forgive us, Lord, that you would look upon us and see us as approved, approved toward you, approved as a, a worker in your service, and Lord, that we could be instruments of righteousness. And Lord, we know that we are all of dishonorable use. And we thank you for your son that can cleanse us and that moves us into your glorious house so that we can be used by you. Thank you for your gentleness and your patience, your long-suffering with us. And Lord, we pray that we would use that example and how we talk to each other and how we teach each other and how we teach the world. Help us to shine the light of your son in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song here in a moment. We invite you to come to Jesus. If there's any way we can help you to give your life to him, to turn away from sin, to be the approved worker that God wants you to be, we do want to help you to do that. Won't you let us know if there's any way we can help you respond to the invitation of Jesus that you would be saved. Won't you do that now while we stand and while we sing?